because all I kept thinking of Prince talking about pink cashmere. They're like, wait, aren't you vegan? But that was like earlier, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make you a pink cashmere. <laughs> a fall cashmere. You could say that. Fall oh, fa- yeah. I said fake. But yeah, I'm gonna make you a fall cashmere coat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you change other songs around. Why not that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna make you a fall cashmere coat. Oh, goat. It comes from a goat. Goat, yeah. So I'm gonna make you a goat, goat, goat. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry, Prince. good people you are listening to the seventh episode of music and we i am jamila and i'm jesse yay what's up we everybody <laughs> really do hope <laughs> you have been enjoying the episodes my goodness we have a lot of fun doing it and we want you to have some fun with us this episode we are dedicated to thomas sankara He was the president of Burkina Faso. And this is very contextual because the episode we're doing is about patriarchy slash misogyny. Oh, yes. And and we wanted to have some quotes by Thomas Sankara. Women's fate is bound up with that of an exploited male. However, this solidarity must not blind us in looking at the specific situation faced by women folk in our society. It is true that the woman worker and the simple man are exploited economically, but the worker wife is also condemned further to silence by her worker husband. This is the same method used by men to dominate other men. This idea was crafted that certain men, by virtue of their family origin and birth, or by, quote, divine rights, were superior to others. The revolution and women's liberation go together. We do not talk of women's emancipation as an act of charity or because of a surge of human compassion. It is a basic necessity for the triumph of the revolution. Women hold up the other half of the sky. Mm. And there's another one that I really enjoy, which is that, comrades, there is no true social revolution without the liberation of women. May my eyes never see and my feet never take me to a society where half of the people are held in silence. I hear the roar of women's silence. I sense the rumble of their storm and feel the fury of their revolt. So Mm. he was already here in the silence, which is fantastic. This is a good dedication to Thomas. Thomas Sankara. Ashe. I keep thinking about they don't care about us. Michael, in that song, largely was focused on the experiences of African people and oppressed people in the U.S., but he went to the favelas in Brazil. And this, to me, signifies that Michael understood that the conditions of Africans in Brazil were not different at all than the conditions of Africans in the state. So I just keep thinking about that. And I I think I'm going to expound on that when we get to a future episode that I'm thinking about Thomas Sankara and Burkina Faso thinking about El Haj Malik El Shabazz or Malcolm X here. So many people who did this work to make these connections. And we can't forget that for someone who was a beloved 
figure in the continent of Africa and beyond to acknowledge the struggles of women. I think that is so important. And it says a lot about the work we need to do for ourselves and each other. Ashe Thomas Sankara, thank you so much. What was it like? Because I remember you shared with me once that when you first saw Prince, what was the because this is another thing I've come to realize is Prince, since his career, he was extremely visual. So Mm -hmm. he dictated how he wanted you to see what he wanted you to see. So um, (laughs) how was it seeing him with the bikini, you know, underwear and the the heels and, you know, the trench coat? Because I know a lot of people, they see that they're like, you know, whoa, whoa, what's that? You know, (laughs) what are you you saying? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, it's meant to evoke, obviously, various different <laughs> opinions because um, it's for shock, shock value. And Michael played with that, too. He mm, was good yes. on shock value and just showing himself in a way where it was like, you have to look at me <laughs> because I'm I'm giving you all of, you know, what you don't know what you're seeing. You know, he would play with mask and tape around his fingers and lipstick i think michael and prince actually when you think of their makeup and lipstick game it was like wow they really they <laughs> the, learned the, weave, the weaves oh and the weaves, the weaves yeah. and the lace fronts <laughs> exactly <laughs> and to the point where people actually thought that was michael's real hair and even prince yeah points. it's true they were really good with weaves and <laughs> wigs but they learned all a lot of that from little richard <laughs> mm-hmm. you know little richard and the people mm-hmm. that came before him but they definitely, when you look at them in the 80s, it's just like you can really see that they, and again, the hair, like you said, just the weaves, the wigs, the lace fronts. <laughs> mm-hmm. They made show. So that's what I have to say so far. What do you think about all of what I said? In particular, oh. how it was seeing Prince. Because Michael is different, I feel, because he was, you know, you really grew up with him. And I guess mm-hmm. that was still a, a shock when he ended up, you know, how he looked in the 80s and then all of what happened later on but it must have been something right like well i grew up with prince as well and the for you album he still had that fro he did not look anything like he did for the second album i think the first album was him just getting his foot in the door and saying here i am i am prince i'm this young cat that played 99% 99% of the music, and I'm going to have creative control. And then when people said, oh, okay, this guy's interesting, the second album was when he really started playing with imagery. And, yeah, when I was a kid, I thought he was a Puerto Rican lady. I did. <laughs> I admit it. And, you know, Puerto Ricans are of African descent on, on many levels. So that, course, you know, he's yeah. still African. But I thought... I grew up in New York City. Like he looked Puerto Rican. I don't know. And then he had that blowout. So I was like, "Who's this Puerto Rican lady?" And then I didn't even pay attention to the facial hair he had. And you know, some women have facial hair. So yeah. you know, I just thought he was a Puerto Rican lady. And then he's naked on a, I guess it was a centaur, but I thought it right. was a horse. You know, and like, who is this lady? naked on a horse and then you know later understanding you know he's playing with imagery <laughs> he did it in a way you know rolling stones did that and you know a lot of people in the early years particularly the second album when he started playing a lot with that imagery people were saying oh he's just trying to rip off Mick Jagger and yeah it's very clear if you look at 
earlier footage from 81, 82, he's definitely trying to find who he is. Yeah, and so, yeah, there, there were some Mick Jagger-isms. But then Mick Jagger, if you watch the Tammy show, everybody watched the Tammy show, T-A-M-I. And James Brown comes out. James, that show yeah, exactly. was literally in my top three of the greatest performances of all time. He had suspense. He had showmanship, all of these things. That's how you put on a show. The Rolling Stones come out after, and they didn't want to come out after James Brown because they knew he was going to wipe they the floor. <laughs> and Mick Jagger is coming out trying to do James Brown footwork. It was hilarious. Prince went on tour with the Rolling Stones and got booed, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did. I just saw the pictures <laughs> so, for those. The color photos just were released from that stadium. And you can oh. clearly see he was obviously in anguish. I mean, he didn't. Yeah. But he showed them the next time. Yes, he did. He was like, yes. all right, well, I'm a force to be reckoned with you. Just because y'all doing this now, watch. Right. <laughs> just give me f- four more years. I know, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah, I remember as a kid watching him on American Bandstand perform I Want to Be Your Lover, Why You Were the Tribute So Bad. I remember that really clearly. And he's in Speedos or yeah. whatever. And the, and I remember that. And you saw Gail Chapman. You saw, you, know, you saw all these people who were in the original band. I remember very clearly he wouldn't really answer the questions. I remember watching this. Like, there were very specific things in my life I remember. That is one of the things I remember. And I remember listening to Soft and Wet on the radio, but watching that American Bandstand episode. That's the only thing I remember from that episode. Playing with that imagery and continuing to play with it and then getting to Purple Rain, where more and more people began to know who he was. And he's really playing with that imagery, having the male and female symbol combined in 1999, but it was hidden. But it was prominent on the motorcycle on the Purple Rain cover. So people... People still didn't catch that until later, I think. He's playing with that. He's wearing lace. He's wearing purple and shades of lavender. And so he's really playing with the feminine there. And then he's getting someone like, you know, originally Denise Matthews or Vanity. And then he's getting Apollonia. So it's people who sort of match his tone in a lot of ways. And then you have somebody like Morris Day, who's definitely playing a, a lot more with that little Richard Escarita energy, but he's also uh, more, quote, masculine as well. And then you have Jerome, who I think is a play on what Bo Diddley did. Because you had Jerome Green, who played the Maracas, who was uh, a compatriot of Bo Diddley. I think even that, the time and how Prince played with a lot of that stuff, it's definitely inspired by the original rock and roll cats. A lot of people don't know the story of Escarita or Escarita, who later Richard was highly inspired by. I think he was inspired by the woo, because Escarita did that a lot. <laughs> Even uh, his piano playing style, I think he might have gotten from Escarita. But a lot of the stylistic things that Escarita did, Little Richard took on and became really famous for it. And Escarita's kind of just somewhere in the shadows. Yeah. Oh, look up Escarita when we're done. Because <laughs> and we're going to actually look up some information. Let's see if Escarita is on the internet. But yeah, Escarita, a lot of people don't know about Escarita or Escarita. I think Prince took a lot from that. And then there's Billy Wright, 
a lot of people don't know about Billy Wright. And so uh, Billy Wright, Escarita, they also wore makeup and, you know, they do and did a lot of that. Then Little Richard created Little a Richard is always like, I founded it. Exactly. I was the architect. I love Little Richard, but I'm like, sometimes you got to give him the side eye. <laughs> Especially now because he's like, I I renounce my homosexuality. I'm like, Little Richard, <laughs> Richard right, Pennyman, right, right. if you don't get out of here with that. <laughs> I love you. He's been but, at it back and forth with that, though. He's been at yeah. it back and forth. He went through the 80s where he was like, no, I'm going to be a preacher. And then he right. was preaching. And he was like, oh, I'm going to do some rock and roll. Right. So, <laughs> so he was always just kind of like torn between the. I mean, that's just the power of. Uh, well, let me not even go on religion right now. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, so, yeah, the, the just the the balance between the masculine and the feminine i think prince did that from his second album on i think the first album he just wanted to establish who he was and did it very well escarita though uh, apparently in the 70s was called fabulash <laughs> and played at uh african gay clubs and Escarita, as far as I know, did identify as gay and was openly gay and did in uh, 1986, did die of complications of AIDS. OK. So wow. it's uh, yeah, if you find some Escarita songs, I do. Have How do you spell his song. name? That name is I can't even you saying it is like <laughs> for our so, listeners <laughs> to help yes, them out, too. E.S.Q. U E R I T A. U E. E S Q. U E R I T A. And it's a play on Escu Reader. And then it says um, his birthday. <laughs> his birthday was Stephen Quincy Reader. I think that's. So he also went by Escu Reader. He was uh, born 1935. When was Richard born? Because my goodness, these photos are like Little Richard. That's what I see. The pose and everything. Just like the the, the smile, the Yeah. Um Little Richard or Richard Pennyman was born in nineteen thirty two. Mm. So he's older, just about three years. Yeah. And the funny thing is, speaking of Little Richard, so the original lyrics, I don't know all all the uh-oh. lyrics. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But this just shows uh-oh. you how much <laughs> that rock and roll got appropriated and switched right. out. Like, like Hound Dog was You Ain't Known By The Hound Dog snooping around my door. And then it got You Ain't Known By The Hound Dog with crying all the time. I'm like, excuse me? Not the same. Not so wait, the what's, same the lyric? what's the lyric? What's the lyric? So, so some of the lyrics, <laughs> Tutti Fruity, Tutti Fruity, Good Booty, Don't Force It, Just Grease It, Make It Easy. Oh yeah, yeah, I knew that. I thought you were saying so, that there were. No, I no, remember, no. right? <laughs> so, so yeah, I could, I could actually imagine uh, Little Richard singing that, honestly. And so Billy Wright, he's another person that people don't acknowledge that really were part of that whole framework of rock and roll, but wore makeup, mm-hmm. and I think he had fronts since everything. Little Richard was also a drag performer in the 50s so yeah so this whole connection 
it's just so funny. So you should look up pictures of Billy Wright as well, because it's that whole it's like this whole group of dudes who wore massive eyeliner and caked on makeup with pompadours. It's just a whole group of people. And so I think it's funny because rock and roll, if you look at Sister Rosetta Tharp, who really is the progenitor of rock and roll, like she birthed the rock and roll sound, but Mm -hmm. she didn't create rock and roll. I think everyone says, oh, she created rock and roll. She did not create rock and roll. She did gospel music and had the sound which birthed rock and roll. But rock and roll was not about praising Jesus. Nah. <laughs> nah, was, rock and roll was about. It was about debauchery. It was about all these things. So, so we could say a sister birthed the sound, which gave birth to rock and roll, but she did not birth rock and roll. <laughs> and so, yeah. you, I think that rock and roll did have elements which people don't talk about today. So it had elements of balancing the masculine and the feminine and even the dances that came out of it it wasn't like oh these are feminist feminine dances and masculine it's like people even with jazz people did the charleston together people did cakewalk which was a parody of the rich people and so all of these things were a play and then you have voguing so a lot of these are plays on and commentaries on society a lot of these dances and they came from people who were systemically oppressed and rock and roll came out of that as well. Uh, Billy Wright, Escarita, they were said to be two of little Richard's biggest influences in terms of what he did, but people well, don't completely see it. Are. Well, and so, for those that don't think it's probably because they don't know, because you cannot see Escarita and not see Little Richard. Like, I just saw this photo for the first time and I'm like, clearly, I just saw off of the three photos on Google. Like, there's mm-hmm. no denying that they were um, that Little Richard took his inspiration, a lot of his inspiration from this cat. So that's pretty cool. And they from the South. South <laughs> yeah. Carolina is where he was from. I know Little Richard was from. Um, Georgia. Right. I'm a Georgia peach. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Right. And then see, and then Prince says, shut up already. Damn. Exactly. See? Boom, 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 boom. There you go. Boom. They, boom don't boom, get boom. into that. Come on. Tell me who in this town know about the quay. Quay. I mean, pretty. Oh, shit. If you know how to buy, say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you know how to party, say, oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. <laughs> you ain't hip to the real house quick. Shut up. Oh, uh, ready. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny because with Lou Richard Escarita, with Billy Wright, you had a lot of the feminine energy and rock and roll. And then came Elvis Presley, which was seen as this virtuous masculinity because. African-based rock and roll was seen as debaucherous. And then you had, oh, here's this virtuous male who gets all the ladies. And so even that, you start looking at patriarchy being rooted in white supremacy in a lot of ways. And you look at it as people wanting to value that more than what we gave to the history of rock and roll. And then now rock and roll is seen as white music. And even when you had uh, the all the heavy metal bands, what Motley Crue 
Warrant, early Alice in Chains, early Pantera, all of these bands in the early 80s wore this makeup and they were still seen as masculine. So no matter what these white dudes did, they could wear all the makeup, the tight pants, the the spray painted hair. It was Mm -hmm. still, yes, it was still seen as masculine. But Prince and Michael? Couldn't get away with it because they black. They're supposed to be the general African masculine Right. Man, you know, and that right. looks something completely different to how right. they were looking. And I, I love that they played with that because it did cause, you know, conversation, which is really important to challenge that narrative. Like, why is it OK? So a white man can do it and the black man can't do it. Why? <laughs> What's the difference? It's right. makeup. You know, it's nothing. It's just a way people can think. I mean, if people think a lot of different things based on what they see anyway. But why is it that it's wrong for you know, a man, a black man wearing makeup. What's the deal? Especially seeing how, you know, the conversation is never equal. You know? Right. And so right. it's like women can't be. If women don't wear makeup, then they are not feminine. Why? <laughs> it was like, why are we even, you know, having this conversation if we can't grant people the ability to do whatever they want to do without any reserved judgment? But it usually comes from that. And a lot of people who had a problem with Michael and Prince were, you know, religious <laughs> um, mm-hmm. black people. It's kind of sad that that's still a problem for a lot of people, but it can be. If people see people wearing makeup or doing something that's unconventional, it's seen as wrong. Or I've even heard people say things like it's corrupting the the youth. Like that's what I'm sure a lot of people said when they saw Prince and you know, doing what he was doing in 81 and had a nerve <laughs> to talk about God, too. It's sacrilegious, you know. Um, but that's the same thing they said again about rock and roll when we was doing it. It was mm-hmm. it was sacrilegious. It was corrupt. So they got Pat Boone. And so that was OK. It was clean. So everything we did, even jazz. Yeah, it just is like, what is this music? It's it's terrible. It's, and then they got you know, other elements to squelch uh, whatever we were doing or to make what they were doing popular. And it was all a means to make money. It was all a means to profit off of what we were doing and taking us out of the picture. So again, people look at jazz. Oh, that's white people music. Oh, rock and roll. That's white people music. When you had you know, Living Color, 24-7 Spies, Bad Brains, you had the, the greatest punk band in the whole world as far as I'm concerned. So that people were saying they were doing white people music. So then now it's flipped on its head. And again, these white dudes can go out and wear all the makeup in the world and still be seen as masculine. And so, so many of us are taking on the language of colonization and saying, those are white things. Being gay is is a white thing. Like being gay was not African. It wasn't an African trait. Mm -hmm. It's just, we had you know, notions of different gender identities before colonization came in Africa. And there are clear examples of that. So the as you mentioned, you know, people of European descent can have so many ways of expression and we cannot have that. I think now we're starting to see that shift, but I remember coming up, you know, I grew up Born in the late 70s, so I grew up in the 80s, coming up in the 90s, and I listened to punk rock. I was in punk rock bands. I 
did all of this stuff that was deemed white. I read people said reading was a white thing. This is how colonized that's, that's we are horrible. as a people. That's horrible. Now, this you, is how just, colonized we are. Just briefly reading. here, just briefly here, seeing the history with reading, for one, the fact right. that those who were enslaved could not read, and if they were mm-hmm. caught reading, they would be killed. Right. And now the fact, you know, you're in a society and you can't even read? Like, right. you... Oh my God! Like, yeah, when you just <laughs> said it, oh my, what a dumbass thing to say, right. an ignorant, misinformed thing to say. I mean, and like you said, thankfully now I feel society is moving forward in a way where people who are brought up now and are really asking questions and they're realizing that none of this shit matters anyway. Why are we saying? Why can't we do these things? Like, why can't I listen to punk rock? Why can't I express myself? Why can't I dye my hair or cut my hair or not shave or do all of these things that society has deemed wrong? If you're a free person in the sense that, and let me clarify, not that yeah, going Kanye like, went, not we, let me, we hold on, at? where are we going? Where are we free at? Let me, let me clarify. I just mean people in a society are usually the cog kind of, oh, okay. But when you read, that's why it helps that you read and mm-hmm. why you do read, you realize that a lot of these assumptions are limitations are non-existent and they're linked to awful ideologies like patriarchy and just things that want you to do things that you don't have to do. Mm-hmm. You can do what you want to do. If you want to, you know, and it's a shame that you're sometimes teased for it. But that just comes naturally, because anytime you inform yourself, you realize people, they, you know, it, it, I, I can go many different ways with this. But I think you get what I'm saying here. Um, <laughs> I like that you were free to yourself. You were open enough with yourself to say, hey, I'm going to do this anyway. OK, whatever. I'm going to like punk rock regardless. So it's corny. I'm corny then. I always tell people, I already know I'm corny. I just don't have the high fructose with it. Oh, wow. <laughs> nah. <laughs> no, no. Well, the funny thing is, I, I even think that the diversity we're starting to have is still dictated by those who create the narrative and who fuel mm. the narrative and yeah, profit off yeah, of it. Because yeah, I yeah, say this because I'm looking at stores and there was a, it was a leather motorcycle jacket and it had all these patches with band names on it. I'm like, some of those bands I used to listen to, like Minor Threat and, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, all those bands. So I one day walked by the store and talked to the guy who was running the store. It was an African guy. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, what's the purpose of the jacket? He's like, I don't know. I'm just selling it. I'm like, oh, so Uh-oh. somehow the people who create these narratives now think, we're going to sell rebellion. And they've always done that. They've done that. The Sex Pistols was was a huge component of that. And it was to sell. Malcolm McGlamour was like, oh, I have a store called Sex. I'm going to have a band representing our store. So it was always marketed in some fashion. But there were always bands who were anti-capitalist, who were anti-racist, who were, who were anti-sexist, misogynist. So there were always that wave of bands like crass or dri and you have bad brains like they as much as i love bad brains huge components that they were massively anti-gay and i'm just like why you gotta be the best fragment well i mean that's the thing i mean you know this should be a future conversation (laughs) um but i do want eventually to talk about listening to artists that are 
quote unquote problematic or who are just in general. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, And how that affects the music because i don't think it does yeah. much yeah. but anyway but yeah i mean you could yeah. you could talk about marvin Gaye. he was amazing, right but, i mean that's what but, i'm saying you know i mean there's a, go on and yeah. on i mean um, that that's why we're going to talk about michael and prince today because they had some problematic things but i wanted to say in terms of listening to different types of music and expanding i'm seeing so many people with metallica shirts i'm seeing so many people with all these punk rock shirts and metal shirts. And I would go up to people sometimes. Cause again, I got made fun of for listening to punk and metal. I got no, made fun didn't. of for, for skateboarding. I got made fun of for all mm-hmm. this stuff and people saying I want to be white. And so now I'm seeing Africans wear these shirts and I'm like, Oh wow. People are okay. You know, I don't listen to Metallica anymore, but maybe people find it. I don't know. And you know, I saw Metallica like 1990 or something, I don't <laughs> but, um, I'm asking people, oh, do you actually really listen to Metallica? You're just wearing the shirt. And a lot of people just roll their eyes at me, which gives it away. They, they don't even know anything about the band. And then one guy, he had a Metallica hat. And he said, yeah, I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm a poser. And I was thinking about the X-Ray wow. Specs song, I'm a poser. It's like, I am a poser and I don't care. I like to make people stare. So I was thinking about that. And he's like, yeah, I'm a poser. I just like the hat. And I'm like, thank you for being honest with me because most people just roll their eyes at me. And I said, yeah, I actually, you know, when I was younger, I would listen to Metallica. So he's like, oh, word. Okay. You know. So I started thinking about that. Who is dictating this? And then you have all these celebrities now wearing these T-shirts like mm-hmm. Justin Bieber and like the Kardashians, they're wearing these T-shirts now. So people think it's cool. Yeah. I think I've seen some people wear Bad Brain shirts and Dead Kennedys. And I remember being in high school wearing Dead Kennedys and I had an English teacher like, you're in the Dead Kennedys. That's really cool. <laughs> you know, so I did seek out bands who were anti-racist and who were open about it. And when I'm seeing people in these shirts and then to find out they're, they don't even listen to these bands. Why are you wearing Guns N' Roses shirt? Is it why are you wearing a shirt? Like, you don't know if they're saying kill Africans. You don't know what they're saying. But yeah, you're wearing the shirt. Stand behind what you wear. It's people that are creating a narrative that are dictating what people wear, even though it seems rebellious. Yes. Yes. And then I started thinking about Michael and Prince and how rebellious they were in a lot of capacities. But at the same time, they perpetuated these same problematic behaviors. And it may have been unconscious. It may have been conscious. I don't know. To look at how they were made fun of for being different and for having that rock and roll spirit in many ways, especially Prince. And to look at when he started doing jazz, people were like, what are you doing? Like, you can't you can't win for losing in a, in a lot of ways. Right. When Michael went beyond Thriller People were like, oh, I'm not I'm not checking for him no more. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> so, mm-hmm, exactly. You know, it's that they always had that spirit of rebellion. When I think of people saying, oh, Michael was just a pop artist. Like, y'all not listening to Michael. And you think of the Blood on the Dance Floor EP or whatever you want to call it. I, I'm not going to call it the album because they have four new songs on it. But mm-hmm. those songs, especially a song like Morphine in a, in a way, to talk about that aspect of vulnerability, for Prince to talk about his levels of vulnerability, to bring all of those spirits in, and I'm not talking about like bringing spirits in, but like bringing the spirits of rock and roll or bringing the spirit of rebellion, which is what we historically did with music. And they continue to do that. And they continue to challenge 
their notions of what we, the listener, thought of them. And they challenged us to not simply be consumers, but to actually listen to what they were saying. And I think that is a balance in a lot of ways. Given the specific lyrics, though, that's another conversation. And I'm always going to go with the way you make me feel, because that's always going to be problematic to me. And so before we actually get into their perpetuation of patriarchy, we're going to define what patriarchy is, because someone who's listening may not know, and they're like, what do you mean? So patriarchy is a system in which males hold primary power and influence through political, religious, economic, and social means. You could talk about patriarchy as a system, and then sexism, which is like, oh, women can't be in the clergy. So that's, you know, a sexist conversation people may have. But misogyny is that in between the way you make me feel, we've talked about it on other episodes, a woman not wanting to be called in the street, she's by herself in a dark alley, and she's being cornered by a group of men. That is the act of misogyny that's happening. It's not saying you can't walk down the street because you're a woman. That would be sexism. I have to walk with you because you're a woman and I need to protect you. So that's an aspect of sexism. But the misogyny is I have a right to your body, whether or not you want me to have that. That's where you're practicing that. And patriarchy is a system which empowers, quote unquote, men to feel that way. Patriarchy is more like economic systems, political systems, and then the practices are under uh, misogyny. Again, when Michael says to buy you things to keep you by my side, why is that necessary? Why is it necessary to buy this woman's love? I just don't understand why he felt compelled to write a lyric like that. I would have loved to have asked him questions like that, and he might not have answered, but at least the question's out there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, you know, that's interesting because... You know, I wonder if it's a level, and I don't know, this is just me being a devil's advocate here, because I take it to mean probably what he was going on, because um, that's a very familiar narrative. People think, oh, if you give somebody money, they're going to have to stay. But mm-hmm. when I was going to play the devil's advocate here, I was going to say, what if it was like, hey, you know, I want this thing every such and such, because when I get this thing, I give you that thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a sub- I was thinking of. BDSM mainly because of the contracts that are involved or the the things you submit to if it's you know like there's a whole that's another I don't even know if that's in the same ballpark so I do grant what you're saying because that's a good question like why do you need to buy things just to keep your partner at bay like that's problematic that's that's an indication of a problem for sure yeah, I would say the word you mentioned was contract, which means yes. in a BDSM relationship, there is consent there mm-hmm. with to say, I'm going to buy you things to keep you by my side. There's not necessarily a consensual relationship to me that signifies control. Yeah. To listen to that lyric in the context of that short film, all of these guys are saying, go for it. Uh, Some people have rationalized it as saying, well, no, he's using it as an example of what not to do because it's toxic masculinity. 
given his patterns in other circumstances, I don't think that's the case. Yes. I think he silently consented with the idea of doing the short film. I know Joe Pika was the director and Michael essentially had little control, which would counter this idea that he had control over every image. Da da da. I think Billy Jean was the other one. He acknowledged he didn't have a lot of control over in terms of imagery, but he went with it and was successful at it. But to have a group of guys saying, yeah, here's this chick and go get her. And, and he does that and does this really toxic mating ritual where she eventually gave in to his demands. It's problematic. And a lot of people defend it by saying, well, it's Michael Jackson. He wouldn't do that. He doesn't have the capacity to hurt people like that. We don't know that. He has, as far as I know, he hasn't done that. But to say he doesn't have the capacity, that's different than saying he hasn't done it. To say, you know, I don't have the capacity to hurt someone. If someone came at me, I'm going to prove that I have the capacity to defend myself and in turn possibly hurting them. So that's where you go with capacity. Just because he hasn't been proven to have done it doesn't mean he doesn't have the the capacity or the ability to do that. We got to remember, he also is the son of Joe Jackson, who was uh, practiced patriarchy daily, (laughs) as far as I've seen. So so just the idea of him being distant from his kids, that's an aspect of patriarchy, that he had Mm. no amount of nurturing towards his kids. That is one of the largest aspects of patriarchy, that he left his wife to do it. And he was abusive. Don't call me father. Don't call me dad. I'm Joseph. I'm basically your manager. That is a huge component of patriarchy. Yeah. Never mind the fact that he was a narcissist as far as I'm concerned. So a narcissist abuser. So a lot of the ideas he got about masculinity, he did resist on some level, but but perpetuated and on other levels. And I think the way you make me feel was one level of that where in whatever meeting room they had did he say well you know i kind of have a problem with that did he say that i don't know i wasn't there but it doesn't look like it judging from the result of that short film and really wanted to have a conversation about this with prince's friend i don't know if he's listening to this podcast we tried to reach out to him he didn't respond he made a video about why the way you make me feel was problematic and really wanted to reach out to him. And sadly, you know, <laughs> it's not happening. Maybe in, a, in another time. He made an initial video talking about the Bad Album, reviewing the Bad Album and highlighting the song and talking about how it's problematic. A lot of people came at him saying, no, no, Michael wouldn't do that. And then he made a separate video explaining more why it's problematic and people still came at him so it doesn't matter people will defend michael no matter what yeah because yeah it's that and then they're also trying to contextualize the fact that oh how could you say this about michael because for whatever reason people don't think michael or any artist that they favor can be guilty of having views that they may not see as good you know and and that is a problematic video i mean i'm glad that he called attention to it because it's one thing to say 
they are problematic is another thing to say, oh, well, this thing in particular is why here's why it is problematic. It's not to say that you can't enjoy the song. I think what people end up doing is they say, oh, if you're saying it's problematic, does that mean I can't listen to it? And I don't take that <laughs> notion because anyway, when I watch or when I listen to the song, I don't really need it. the video definitely doesn't help the uh, mm-hmm. song. <laughs> so right. I can go without the um the video. But seeing as the video is out there, it's one thing to say, yeah, you know, this was in 19. Because a lot of people have been using that almost as a defense, like, oh, well, it happened at a time where like, no, it still shouldn't have never happened. Just right. because it happened in a time where people didn't really come against it. But that's when you look at obviously the Me Too movement and you see how we're starting to look at a lot of things and we're we're able to see the things that are problematic. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. It's just it just means that it's not okay to say that this is something guys should do. You shouldn't catcall a woman like or anyone on the street. You know, you shouldn't just be if if you know a girl says no, she means no, just like with a guy or anyone mm-hmm. when they say no. So um yeah, I don't feel like people are totally honest when it comes to their musicians and artists because they worship them to a degree that's not objective. It's like, well, we can look at what they did and say, yeah, I don't really think that's a good thing or that yeah. this was, you know, you can you can do that and still say, oh, the song is good. But the video is like, yeah, why, why are you going out of your way to do that? Right. So <laughs> I do think with this era of people coming forward with their experiences, it could be seen as a testament to both Prince and Michael that they were not as toxic in their own lives as they were on some levels of their performances. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good thing. That's in their defense. Yeah. And, you know, like people could have been like, okay, I feel safe. They're both gone now. I feel safe to report what happened to me. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but Michael's been gone for almost 10 years. And the only person you've seen was uh, Jimmy Safechuck, who was talking about it when Michael was here. And then what's the other guy? Uh, Wade Robson. So you haven't seen anybody come out. Who's the first one before Wade Robson? Did you you uh, see Jimmy Safechuck? Jimmy Safe Truck. Okay, I've never heard yeah. of this person. Yeah, he he's been talking since Michael was here, and people haven't seemed to have found a case. And then Wade Robson, you know, <laughs> um, but that is a testament to them if that's really the case because they're gone, they're not here to defend themselves, and you haven't seen people come out at all as you're seeing with Bill Cosby, as you're seeing, you know, with people who are still here. And Michael and Prince are gone. Yeah, so, are gone. So that is a testament. It get, exactly. I think Michael Jackson and Prince did the best they can or could, could have done in a world influenced with a lot of darkness, you know, and mm-hmm. it's a testament to their art and to their personal lives that they managed to stay clear from the darker elements of society. So <laughs> test. <laughs> yeah. I will say in terms of Michael's personal life, if you will, mm-hmm. when he responded to Paris, his daughter, not being the most feminine. Like he set things up with wanting her to be girly and, and everything, and she just didn't turn out that way. And he right. did express disappointment. So that's a little bit of the patriarchy coming out. 
It's like I wanted a girl and I wanted her to be girly and what? I never knew that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I I think I think he definitely adhered to gender norms, quote unquote. He he adhered to gender lines in that way. The, at the same time, he honored her means of expression. Yes, he was disappointed that she wasn't the girliest and he had dolls for her and everything. But he said, you know, I'm going to support her in what she wants to do. He did his best to be the most nurturing parent he could. So it's like it's like Cher saying, you know, yeah, you know, people considered me a, me to be a gay icon. But when my daughter came out as openly gay, I freaked out. So I think it's it's similar where they as parents, you know, they want their kids to have the best lives. And, you know, when they don't meet societal expectations in some way, it's like, oh, OK, wait. <laughs> yeah, so right. I, I think. I think that's a parenting thing in some way, but that doesn't make it not problematic. Yes, yes, yes. I see what you're saying. And I would concur with that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to think of Prince moments, which, because he's got, he's got more than a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. The MJ people are like, what about Prince? You grilling Michael? What you got to say about Prince, huh? What about that time he was with? No. <laughs> with Prince, you know, it's obvious that he was navigating in a um industry where he got a lot of different things from a lot of different people, and he really tried to put himself in the best light. But sometimes I think his unawareness of how people perceived him end up being to his disadvantage because when you think of let me see when you say a moment obviously purple rain if we're talking about an obvious situation we're gonna get purple rain oh purple rain yes yeah he did not direct that movie but obviously and i think he understood towards the end of his life that that movie even I would say not even the end of his life. I would say that MTV interview he did, he was like, well, you know, I didn't write Purple Rain because I think people were talking about the abuse and all of that. And he obviously wanted to be like, hey, you know, that's that's not me. This was just a movie, you know. But um, but if you think of his songs, I think that's the better way to see. Let's see. Purple Rain, obviously, the movie, there's a lot of misogyny. There's a lot of just. I mean, the, the scene when she got pushed in the dumpster yeah i was just about to say i was just about to say that was that was the one i was just about to go to yeah like that yeah um but uh, you know and this is why i mean i guess i said earlier we can make a podcast about this but this can be that podcast when you talk about you know situations especially in media where you see things that are just extremely misogynistic see we are developing as we grow every day our understanding of what's normal changes I mean, I was reading back in the 30s or even maybe before then, it was so hard. I mean, they knew that they needed to put seatbelts in cars, but they didn't Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And everyone knew that a seatbelt would help with the death. But for whatever reason, it wasn't convenient until eventually they're like, "Okay, yeah, we got to make it mandatory for these vehicles to have seatbelts because people are dying at a Mm -hmm. high rate without them. And also, when you think of smoking on the airplane and, uh, you know, a lot of things that were normal in the 70s was like, no, or even the 
the hippie era or the flowers and enlightenment is like, yeah, but you got to be responsible too, right? You're going to be on all of those drugs with kids and, you know, not knowing how it'll affect them as they're here. So, I mean, we, we obviously see a shift in what's normal. And by the rubric of where we are now, nothing hardly in the 80s is saved. Even, obviously, even if you go before that, like um, old Hollywood, I was just watching Bewitched, which I used to love that show. That's an old show, Bewitched, or I Dream of Jeannie, or mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of shows back in that period. I Love Lucy, where you see these specific gender roles and you know behavior that we can see now as problematic, mm-hmm. which even at that time it was still problematic, but now we can even more see like, oh, wow, you know, these scenarios are not actually cool you know how you're presenting women in this um but i think you know i never really personally care for purple rain as a movie in itself (laughs) Um, i do like the live performances but Mm -hmm. the movie itself uh, under the cherry moon is my favorite outside of graffiti bridge but Uh, you know because it's more fun it's just relaxed purple rain seemed a bit serious you know he was really acting that role you can see everybody was like but still, there are themes that are redeemable about it. And, you know, everyone sees things differently. But Prince, <laughs> you know, he also did an album called The Rainbow Children, um, <laughs> which, which is, is still actually one of my one favorite of my, yeah. albums. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, like, and, you know, honestly, this is a thing I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. At first, I was kind of like, I don't know if I'm sure. I'm going to just say it anyway. If we're going to talk about patriarchy and just in general um ways that prince and michael have been problematic we got to look at the source and what inspires that source so religion has a lot to do with it you know i mentioned the rainbow children because you know prince starts that album by saying the accurate understanding of god and his law the people went about the work of building a new nation and he talks about you know man or god and then man being subject to god and woman being subjected to man you know, and he goes on and on about that. Um, and there are a lot of lyrics where he talks about there's obviously a distinction <laughs> to him, it seems. All right. Mm-hmm. That there's, you know, like there's the woman and there's the man. Because even when people say things like, you know, Prince was a gay icon. It's like, oh, come on. I know when people say, say that, that, I don't understand this. I really don't. And I can't speak for the LGBT community, but I can say that Prince <laughs> was a Jehovah's Witness towards the end. I mean, I don't believe he stayed a Jehovah's Witness, but he obviously was at one time, and I don't, you know, anytime I think of Prince, when it comes to this topic in particular, I think of songs like the Bourgeoisie, if I'm saying that wrong. Bourgeoisie. 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 See, no, that just means you're allergic to the bourgeoisie, so you can't pronounce it, that's all. Good. Well, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> Every time I see that word, it's like, I know I'm going to say it wrong. And I did it. That's okay. Um, but yeah, that song. And then I mentioned Bambi, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's better with a man. There are many examples. If I wanted to specify them, I, I guess I could, but I don't. None of them are really coming to my name besides those two. Mm-hmm. Because, and Dabuja, there it is again. <laughs> that. Bujazi. Yeah, that one. That one was the one of recent value that came out in 2013. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he never performed it live. It was just a one-off. But I remember when he released it, people were like, what? This is very homophobic. And I read an article um, from someone who was a fan of Prince. But they, it was funny because at the end of it, because this was right after he passed away, and the person was like, yeah, I'm a fan, but Prince is a reminder that even your faves can be homophobes. Yeah. <laughs> and he and he mentioned that lyric and he mentioned how he was one of the first people to talk about how it was extremely, you know, homophobic or whatever. So it's good that people can say that, because, again, just because you're inspired by an artist, just because you appreciate their art and you just can buy whatever they're giving you and just you just love them because they're great. Doesn't mean that they can't have ideologies or ideas that are just problematic or somehow mm-hmm. dismissive it doesn't mean that that can't happen there are plenty of artists i can think of in fact every artist because it's like anyone i know you know and no one's perfect anyway i'm not over here to pretend that my shit is all together and that i have ideas i mean no no one has it all together but yeah. we still can recognize especially someone who has a lot of uh fame and someone who's just they got more eyes looking at them they can have ideas that are harmful or Mm -hmm. just somehow not, you know, just behind. And then when you contextualize again, looking at Prince and Michael Jackson, both born in 1958 and I wasn't born during that time, but I know I got family. My dad was born in 1960 and I can Mm -hmm. see (laughs) resemblances that he has, you know, based off of, you know, how Michael and Prince thought and how a lot of people thought at that time. And and I mentioned religion because a lot of, you know, those limitations come from religion, too. And it's just we all have to navigate this world based on how well we know that people can be honest with who they are, you know. And I think those ideas, those homophobic and transphobic and weird ideas that a lot of people have from that period usually stems from not understanding like you know these are people just like you Mm -hmm. ain't no different from you they just don't see it that way and you got to learn to love them anyway especially if you're going to preach about love and i think michael (laughs) imprint started to realize like okay if we all in this together and it's all about love for one another and (laughs) heal the world and all of that then that means anybody regardless yeah. of where they come from what they look like what they doing how they whatever it is you know because mm-hmm. um, it's one thing being spiritual it's another thing taking that spirituality and allowing it to be dismissive of someone else's existence because they're not abiding to the rule of law or you know the bible had something to say about it the bible has a lot to say about a lot of different things if we're being honest um <laughs> <laughs> so So there were a couple of things I thought about when you were talking in terms of Prince. He did two interviews. One was, was that 2014 when he did the whole show on Arsenio's couch? Arsenio. Mm -hmm. And then that was 2014. So when he was in the audience, it was. So somebody was talking about men, something to the point where men were into prints or something i can't remember how the question was framed but he made a weird face like oh yeah and then he talked about how this dude was he was at some event and somebody ran into him and he it just 
he was just disgusted that this guy would bump into him. I don't know if you remember that at all. Well, the only thing I can think of when you say that is the time when the guy tried to sit on him. And he was like, okay, get out, you know, like the guy, he came over and this was actually film. It's, it's on YouTube. You can still watch it. He was answering questions. And the guy who were, who was asking them a question, he came on the scene and he was like, oh, can I sit on you? And Prince was like, oh, like he kind of obviously <laughs> was like, you can't sit on me. But I didn't take that as a, I didn't take it to be uh, homophobic or anything like that. I just took it to be like, hey, you can't, you know. I'm Prince. Which no, there <laughs> was, you would probably there, do that for anyone. There was there was something else. And he said he was at an event and it might have been in relation to that that comment. Okay. But he said he was at an event and some some guy ran into him or something and made a comment or touched him in this way. And he just felt and the look he had on his face was of disgust. And it, wow, what it okay. sounded like was. The guy mistakenly bumped into him and touched okay. him in this way. And, and I can't remember the exact quote, but the look on Prince's face was like, <laughs> like there's a guy, you know, <laughs> and, uh, right. and that the other comment he made was re- regarding Stevie Wonder when he was recording with him. And Stevie Wonder went out to hold his hand and he talked about how uncomfortable he felt with holding hands with another man. But, but he said, well, it's Stevie Wonder and he's blind. Oh, yeah, essentially. I remember that. And he said he was understanding the I remember that. That was an odd one because I know he not to say he justified it, but it was like he said, oh, but I understand coming from his perspective. Right. He was blind. Exactly. And you right. know, so he 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 did try to kind of curve it a bit but i do remember that that's funny you mentioned that because i forgot all about that that was a while ago i remember that very well because that just stuck out to me that he was uncomfortable with even holding hands with stevie wonder who stevie wonder is very heterosexual but he will yeah well i i don't think again <laughs> another see when you say that then i think of the time he met muhammad ali and muhammad ali was very affectionate towards him he even told him right i mean there there are pictures of them from that meeting and yes. you know He's yes. touching his hair. Yep. He's, you know, uh, he's know. touching like so all of it. So I don't think. Well, I'm not. I don't know. Who, who knows what I think about the matter? But <laughs> in general, I'm saying when you when you read when you tell me that story that you read that interview, I think when I read that because I remember it, I sort of just kind of remember him saying that. Oh, it was nothing. It was like he realized it didn't matter, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like it that he it made him question himself like why do you have a problem with this anyway right because right who cares so yeah but you look at later comments or you look at the Mm -hmm. face he made on Arsenio he still was having a lot of these issues that were either internalized like I don't think he he was sexually attracted to men but I feel like there was a lot of discomfort based on how he presented himself his visuals where a lot of people associated him with being part of the LGBTQ community. And I think that gave him a lot of pause, even though for him, he was looking at it in a spiritual way. You know, for me, the merging of masculine and feminine is a spiritual thing, but how many of us look at it, we look at it as primarily sexual. He wasn't looking at it that way. And so I think with that, he did have a lot of issues around sexuality and people associating him with being gay so 
is it that he was homophobic? I think I think I'm going to say, you know, people can argue with this. I'm going to say he was more homophobic than anti-gay because people are like, well, I'm not homophobic. I don't have an irrational fear of gay people. I think he did based on his experiences with with merging the masculine and feminine and playing with a lot of feminine en- energy and imagery. He, he was just like, oh, no, do people really think I'm gay? And I think he had an internal struggle with that, even though he identified as heterosexual. And I don't think he was sexually attracted to men. But there's still that conversation he had. So anyone who went to try to touch him, he was like, ah, you know, my rational fear is coming out. That right. said, I don't think he was anti-gay because I don't think he would be associated with Wendy and Lisa. In yeah, fact, and not only he, Wendy and Lisa, I mean, Prince has had a lot of people come in his circle right. as of recent and just in general who have been gay. Right. Like, and little Richard, like, I mean, right, like, right. And so yeah, I, I think, think he was, like, that's yeah. a good, you just described that really well. Like, yeah, I would totally honor that. So, yeah, I do think based on how he presented himself and in, in yeah, I do think there was some homophobia, the it, the traditional definition of an irrational fear based on people associating him with it, even though he's like, I'm not gay, I'm not gay. But yeah, I don't think he was anti-gay. With Michael, I think... Michael had a lot of gay friends, too. There was that right. guy who actually lied, though, and tried to sue him. Oh, yeah, that yeah. Being illegal, actually. I, th- I, I think there name. was a, a book around it right before yeah, Michael died, yeah. too. Uh, and I'm like, really? Really? I think he was conditioned with patriarchy and had very, very problematic notions of gender. So I think that's where those issues came up because again, he was raised by Joe Jackson. Homophobia, I'm going to say anti-LGBTQ sentiments are rooted in patriarchy because a lot of that is like, if men are in same gender loving relationships, that that's deemed as more feminine to women who are in relationships, oh, that's a fantasy because women are seen as being owned anyway. Their bodies are owned. You know, they're not valued for what they contribute to society and and on the scale of patriarchy. With Michael, I think when people associated with him with being gay and then the whole connection between pedophilia and homosexuality it's like so many quote heterosexual men are pedophiles but yet pedophilia is always in concert with homosexuality in in a lot of people's minds and i'm like seriously seriously anyway he when michael was doing one of those depositions when he was reading those documents and he's like i'm not gay you know i just think I think that was like for him, not exactly internalized homophobia. I think for him too, like the Joe Jackson was coming out. And I I think that's how he was conditioned, even though he said uh, years in the 70s, because people always associated him with being gay because he had the high pitched voice. Even though the Bee Gees, they saw high pitched voices and always said they were gay, but whatever. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's the thing (laughs) where it's like, yeah, it's oh, yeah, it's colonized mind really. People are just not oh, are realizing. Oh, are we are we going into another Prince song? Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, and you know that's a good one too. I'm glad you mentioned it because that one is you know the lyrics are sort of. Um, <laughs> but I think I think with Michael because he was asked in the 70s because people even then people think. All of the rumors started in the 80s. No, they started in the 70s. People used to 
say he was dating Clifton Davis, who wrote Never Can Say Goodbye and other songs. But, you know, people were, were rumoring them to be together. And so and then I think he was vying for one of the main roles in a chorus line, but the character was gay. And so I think he said, no, you know, that's okay. But what he did say when asked was, I'm not gay. However, I understand that a lot of my fans are gay and I love my fans. So that was his response. And so he understood so many people loved him. They loved who he was. They loved his music. And he wasn't like, oh, I have a problem that I have gay fans. I don't think Prince had a problem with that either. Again, I think for both of them, and to a large they didn't want to be identified though. Right, exactly. And I yeah. think that was the the larger context of both of their discomfort with being associated right. with anything LGBTQ was because of how they presented themselves. But I think Prince on a much larger scale than Michael was he couldn't hide his contempt. <laughs> He was yeah. just like, what? Ew, no, I have a problem. <laughs> and Michael was just like, yeah, no, yeah. I'm not gay. I'm tired of people saying I'm gay. Like, what is this? So I think Michael's more frustrated and Prince had more contempt in a way. That's a really good description. I would say that <laughs> both of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the both of them, again, it's coming from that narrative. I mean, just putting in context their history, Michael being a child star and just growing up with people and just being a free individual, not caring about how he is seen Prince the same way, you know, like, yeah, I'm gonna just play with this imagery because everyone else is doing it. Why can't I do it? You know, and, and really embracing that and loving it and saying, Oh, I look actually good in doing it and I'm going to do it. And who cares if you don't like it, but then growing up older and it's like, Oh, well, but I'm not gay. It's like, well, who cares at the end of the day you know (laughs) like I think the both of them got it Mm -hmm. but they were still in the society and they still have family and friends and ideas inevitably that were against or somehow um I don't even know if they realized how dismissive that kind of framework of mind is you know it's just like oh well i'm not like that and 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 no prince was prince michael was michael they all demonstrated various you know nuances of this that and the third it's like we can't deny that it was just i think it got to a point and i think if they were older well hopefully i hope they weren't just like these bitter men that were like don't call me that you know i think it was good that michael was like yeah well i know i have gay fans and i know that you know and prince didn't openly actually really speak about um the lgbt community and when he did have something to say that one time in an interview he was kind of backpedaling like no i didn't mean that i didn't say no 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 no, i was misinterpreted so i mean clearly he would have had to recognize with it eventually because we're at the age now where it's like, who cares? You're gay. Mm-hmm. You're gay. You like me. You're you're not gay. Okay. You're lesbian. You like just one. You're 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 pansexual. I mean, I think you know. Just look at someone like Janelle Monae, being the free person that she is. You know, she just came out as pansexual, and I think he recognized that. Okay, well, this is just the reality. You know, I have fans that have various ways of expressing themselves and if 
you know what what I'm gonna do about it. What you gonna be that old grandpa that just be like, oh, you can't be like that, or you know the Bible's just shut up and dig the music <laughs> that has nothing to do with their art. And I say this for anybody. I'm not just saying this. I mean, Prince isn't even here, but anyone. I think anyone who has those kind of ideas about people kind of have to check themselves. And I think the good thing is that Michael and Prince begin to see that none of that really mattered. But they just made it a point to be like, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) But it don't matter. We don't know anything. And then here's the thing. We don't know what people are. um, You know, I I take them as on their word, though. If Michael and Prince say that they weren't gay, then I don't believe they were. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, none of it really. I mean, it, it matter. It does matter in terms of representation. And yeah, while course. I don't agree, given how Prince and Michael have been openly to say they are gay icons, I think to look at representation of LGBTQ, etc., people in performance, music, theater, etc., To have somebody like uh, Freddie Mercury, to have someone like, I'm going to say Luther Vandross because Miss Patty outed him. But but we already knew. That's the thing. We already knew, though. We already knew. And so I agree to your point that it doesn't matter. But because LGBTQ, et cetera, people have been marginalized in society, it's important to have people to say, Yes, we're here. We're doing it. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. To have Sylvester. Right, that, Sylvester, to, my one of my favorite musicians and artists. <laughs> yes, yes. So to no, to, you're absolutely right. It does matter in that context to provide representation to say that hey, we do exist. You know, it's right. not just this one image or one kind of person. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So to have people like Billy Preston, who was also gay. You know, that wasn't necessarily something people knew, but he wasn't hiding it. I think people who knew him knew he was gay. He also came from the tradition of the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, Billy Preston, he was considered to be the fifth Beatle. So he had a huge mm-hmm. contribution to rock music. We've had people who are in the LGBT community and we've accepted people, but somehow we've allowed colonial mentality to take over. And colonial we're like, oh, that's mentality. Not something we did. Uh-huh. It's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, well, even... exactly. It's colonial mentality. People can't. And that's the problem I have is. When I see that colonial mentality manifested in conversation, especially to be dismissive in light of God or when people say, oh, wait, you know, that's not this is this is not what it's like. Come on. Don't do that. Don't be that obtuse in your thinking to where you're literally saying to people who are free, happy. Yeah, I'm gay. And you're saying that they're not that they're choosing to be like that. Like, come on, get out of here with that nonsense. It's really unfortunate to see that kind of (laughs) shit every now and then. And speaking (laughs) of that, yeah, Carl Bean. So Carl, so there was somebody named Valentino. And so there was a, a record released called Born This Way. Everyone thinks Lady Gaga did that first. So Valentino did Born This Way. And then, you know, it 
it did okay. It was more in the the gay circuit essentially, and it was made the the record label was a play on gay. I think, I think okay. so, and and it was it's like a Motown subsidiary. And then you had Carl Bean, who made it a quote disco hit. Carl Bean is now he's like an archdiocese or something, and so he still identifies as gay. But born this way, I'm I'm happy, I'm I'm free, and I'm gay. I was born this way from a little bitty boy, and so this energy has been in our communities. You have Willie Ninja. You have, you know, that the voguing came out of the House of Ninja and all these houses. And it was a play. It's like cakewalking. It's a, it's a play on, you know, rich people's culture. And we're just doing it in a way where we identify with. So you have also the group Dynamic Superiors, Tony Washington. He was openly gay. And they did <laughs> me and Mr. Jones instead of me and Mrs. Jones. They did me oh, and really? Mrs. Jones. Me and Mr. Joe. Yeah. So this is people act like, oh, this is not something we do. It's like, no. Yeah. I mean, we... that's the thing. It's unfortunate <laughs> that people are so slow or just <laughs> choosing to be ignorant. So, yeah, there's always a balance in a lot of ways. And even when you had baby face music, you had the Izzy Brothers and you could do a whole episode on the Izzy Brothers because people don't even talk about them contributing to rock and roll. Oh, you know, they they that. originally did that Twist shit. and Shout before the Beatles. The Beatles covered them and they performed with Jimi Hendrix. And then they had a history on Motown. And then they started doing the, the smooth like, oh, yeah, girl. I mean, they started doing that. But they have a whole history. They have a rich history. And then, of course, uh, Ron Isley became associated with the pedophile R. Kelly. But let's not get into that one. But we have this history of Barry White. We have history of people talking about love and people even talking about wanting to please women. People listening to that now, oh, that's simp music. Oh, we got we got to be pimps now. We got to do this. We got to be be hard. So that's what people are talking about now. And so patriarchy is represented in music at an all-time high, whereas, you know, it's like, oh, this is how you get a girl. You just recite Barry White lyrics. Like, that's how it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, girl, I'm going to just grab you, and, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want to you, and the woman's supposed to accept that and be okay with that. So, I mean, patriarchy and music is at an all-time high, whereas you had a balance. You had Sly and the Family Stone with the gender with the ethnic diversity in that group and so of course prince and michael were inspired by that especially prince yes <laughs> taking mm-hmm. from that so there was always that balance in some capacity but now it's so imbalanced where you can only have a Nicki minaj or a cardi b you can't have a moni love you can't have a latifah right. you can't have a latifah right you can't have a light you can't have you can't you can't have the sisters coming together. What's that? No, you're only supposed to have one queen of hip hop. That's where we're at now. Ooh, we can go on and on about that one. So I tell you, the, the patriarchy is real, the misogyny, and the eternalized misogyny that's going on with Nicki Minaj. The eternalized misogyny that's going on with Cardi B. And the whole sheather thing, people are like, oh, and the colorism that happens there and the in- internalized white supremacy that's happening. So, I mean, this is a whole other episode, but so much of that is rooted in the patriarchy that happens because white supremacy and patriarchy are 
align in so many ways. Africans who are representing rap music, I'm not even going to say hip hop because you don't have any of the elements there anymore. But so much of this internalized patriarchy, white supremacy, people don't understand how that's connected to capitalism. It's all under that umbrella. And then you have stand culture. So you have, you know, the barbs versus the Cardi B. I don't know what you call her people. So much of that is aligned. So when you have, you go from, I, I think it's a cycle because you had the Jackson 5, stop the love you save, maybe your own, which to me is saying stop the love you save, don't be a hoe. <laughs> it's like, so you had all of the songs the dudes are singing, yeah, don't waste yourself because you got to be with me and you got to be with one guy. But all the guys are talking about in that kind of music, like, oh, I'm going to sow my oats. And the women are like, oh, yeah, you just got to close your legs. Like, you got to be respectable for that man that comes along. But then you had a time in the 70s where it started to shift. And then I don't know if that was because of the invasion of Vietnam or the women's movement that happened then. But a lot of music represented or reflected the political ideologies that were happening at the time. So you had diversity in genders, in ethnicities, et cetera. And then you started having more Barry White love music. And his response to making that music was because he was anti-war. So then people are like, oh, because he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm qualified to satisfy you, all this stuff. And then you had Babyface that birthed all that, the new new era. And so people today would call that set music. But then you had the 90s, which was a mixture of that. And so guys are begging. So you had the begging, Jersey and Keith Sweat in the late 80s. But then you had the mixture of sexism and misogyny that happened with that as well. And now it's just overarching into the misogyny. Although it's interesting how music has taken these sharp turns and a reflection of other times, but now it's an extreme. And even with Nirvana and all those bands, if Nirvana were to come out today, they would be called the SJW band. Or, oh, Snowflakes. And, uh, but that music was popular. Nirvana was number one. So yeah. clearly they were speaking to somebody. Of course. <laughs> they so definitely just... have the crowd. Yeah, it's it's right. it's funny. You're right. It's so funny how it changes over time. This is what I'm saying. I mean, we grow and we evolve and we realize the things that we're calling lame and simp music is actually revolution. <laughs> Babyface saying, yeah. I'll cook you dinner, I'll pay your rent and all that. Like what babyface is a sit? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So that's what's happening. The funny thing about Nirvana, the Nevermind album actually knocked the Dangerous album off the yeah, number one chart. Yeah, sure did. Even with Dangerous, you you can see how it was a new era. Like people, not only in genres of music, but how people felt about gender issues, yes. how people felt about all these other things. So Michael was still coming from that sort of traditional gender line, and that did reflect in in, in much of his music. Not all of it, but but much of his music. And then Nirvana came along like, bam, women's rights. Bam, you know? All right, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. That was interesting, too, because that was the era of Bill Clinton. So I'm wondering where that came in, how the era of Nirvana, et cetera, were to replace that. Because you can look at the massive amounts of toxic masculinity in the Clinton era. Oh, <laughs> and still, yeah. you know... <laughs> Then you had another aspect of it where rap music that was increasingly misogynist 
knock Nirvana out the butt. So you had Puffy and all of that. So that began creeping into the pop charts. And then now you're seeing what you're seeing now. And it's interesting because you're not seeing too much of a quick shift like you did under the Reagan era. You're not seeing people necessarily respond in the Trump era to problematic behaviors. People are kind of doing it in pockets, but it's not in popular music. You're still seeing people, I'm on tons of drugs and I'm going to be as nihilistic and narcissistic as possible. That's what's reflected in pop music now. So you're not even seeing a reflection of the political times in terms of countering it with popular music. What we're seeing is actually matching those times. So the nihilism, the narcissism, it's matching what you're seeing. We're we're definitely in interesting times. Yes, we are. The the script is always flipped, it seems, every now and then, which is good because it makes us ask questions and really examine what's really going on. Absolutely. I was wondering what you thought of Princess P control because, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, I just heard it's, that song recently. Because ah, it is saying, you know, essentially women are controlling their sexuality. At the same time, he's giving a warning call to women to do that. So who is Prince to say how women control their sexuality? This is how I see the song. Right. I always have really mixed feelings about this song. I didn't like it from the beginning, mainly because mm-hmm. it's anno- it can get annoying. Not the uh, <laughs> lyric content itself. I actually like the story. I love when Prince shares his stories because it's funny how yeah. he goes through stories. But the song in itself is not one of my favorites, actually, because it's, yeah, it's repetitive and it just gets, the chorus gets to my nerves a lot, actually. <laughs> the ah! Yeah, a bit too much. But um, what I do like about the song, or the aspect that I think is a good message, is when he says, you know, you need somebody that respects your name. And then when he talks about, don't even think about calling her a hoe, you juvenile delinquent. <laughs> Better sit your ass down. I like that part too. Right. But, um, it's it's obviously a story of a woman, as you said, owning her own agency in that regard but then yeah he is the one saying it or sending out a reminder to women right. um there's that with it too but i think overall the message seems to be pretty good it's just you know basically she's the one that's making and calling the shots she got right. the bank in her pockets before she got everything extra you know and <laughs> you know I, I do like that aspect but i mean it's a song i don't i can say again it's not one of those songs i listen to often it's funny you mentioned because i was just hearing it maybe last week or so and i was like ah. <laughs> i couldn't even finish it because it was like it's too it's like ah. but but then going but i read the lyrics and i like how he raps some of it and but mm-hmm. overall it's not one of those songs i i could say it's uh, yeah <laughs> but, but in I've a lot heard, of ways i've had a lot of women is on one and say that it's a really it's one of their favorite songs in fact one of my oh um, yeah she's a womanist and she does a lot of writing on feminist studies and she always goes back to peak control as being one of her anthems because yeah so it's like oh wow huh. mm-hmm. wow well See, that's what it think... goes to show you people can look it's no definitive way of seeing it you can point out what's problematic or the things that don't make sense but then there are people who say well i didn't get that out of it and this right yeah (laughs) yeah i think had he written that song much earlier and had a vanity six do it 
or something, it would have been like, oh, then I, I think it would have just surprised everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I right. understand why womanists would enjoy it based on the context and based on the intent. Mm-hmm. But to me, it matches in a lot of ways sexy MF, where, you know, on one end, uh, particularly with, with the video, we showing Troy Bayer with just underwear and a mesh or beaded vest or whatever that is. And, you know, women who you showing them and then men at the same time. So it, it is interesting. Or even the one was it one eight hundred new funk. So both men and women are on the cover with bathing. Right. Suits I was about to, right. So, exactly. So and then you, you know, of, I mean, even get off is the same way. Right. Right. It's not just women. You know, that's one of the things right. I appreciate about Prince is that anytime he's showing any sexual thing, the men are just as exposed as the women. It's not just the woman being exposed. Right. You know. But so. at the same time. There's a lot of things like Purple Rain or, and yes, he didn't write it, whatever. But there's still, you know, what we were talking about with the Rainbow Children, there's still elements of that where, yes, women are in control of their agency in Prince's world in many cases. But, I mean, look at what happened with Maite. I know a lot of people hate her, but you can tell because of the age differences, you could tell there were some control issues. He's manipulating relationships in a lot of ways as well. And that could contribute to the patriarchy. We cannot escape that. Yeah. I mean, and again, and he won't because he's had so much music. No artist really would be able to um, unless you just keep it unsexual. But since Prince had most of his music, well, well, not most of it, but a lot of it had (laughs) connotations of I mean, it's dance, music, sex, mm -hmm. romance. Right. Sex and romance can obviously be extrapolated to the disadvantage of women um, and any other people on the spectrum. So I guess it's really about getting what you can, but calling out what's already out there and saying, oh, well, you know, it's that one time Prince had that one song where it's like, ah, you know, (laughs) (laughs) what you mean by that? Or Michael, what do you mean by that? What made you say that? You know, but I, I still think ultimately the both of them managed to rise above just the bullshit overall when it came to how they respected mm. uh, women. And they both show, going back to the topic of the podcast, I know we've steered a lot of different areas talking about all of these different things, but the divine feminine was seen. I could see that within Prince and Michael and also just see how they respected or they were starting to come to the terms of acknowledging the people regardless of where they were mm-hmm. and it didn't matter about the oh this isn't right or oh I don't know I don't think this is what people should do they just kind of realized that you know we're all in this thing together ain't no problems really but they are still a product of and it's not that I'm saying well I am saying that I would say people from that time period it's not surprising to kind of see those idea those ideas kind of manifested it's just like people from my age group i was born in 92 and you know while i would say we're definitely more advanced than well when i say advanced i should clarify we are not as homophobic but there's still people in our age bracket that i know that are still homophobic who still have those ideas that are from 
that period. It, it depends on, you know, how I think people now and they have such access to information, they refuse to just be told the bullshit that is usually passed down in a family or in a school or any other societal situation. And mm-hmm. it's a good thing that people are as informed now, but I think what needs to happen, just like any of our other generational peeps, because I'm not one of those people that, oh, you know, our generation, you read. It's like, yeah, everybody got something to really improve on. But mm-hmm. at most, what's happening now is people can say, ah, this is problematic, but hey, I can still enjoy it. Or I can I can call it out and, and move on from it. And also, <laughs> you know, help other people say, hey, you know, calling it out doesn't mean that it's dismissive of it. I mean, this podcast is in honor and celebration of Michael and Prince. We ain't dogging them. We're not over here. Absolutely. You know, coming from a place of just ridiculousness it's just acknowledging the thing because it makes up who they are as a person it does give us a bit of context in describing why things are or why things happen the way it did in their private lives (laughs) yeah no it's absolutely crucial to look at things dialectically you can't love people and honor them without looking at the contradictions that exist in their lives and their art and i'm looking at this thing and there's an album and i guess it's amazon music or something and it's called black gay and proud and guess who's included in this compilation Uh uh-oh yeah prince yes so that's exactly what i mean so people still to this day given some of the comments he made, they still see him as an LGBTQ, et cetera, icon, or at least an ally or an advocate. And I don't think he would have ever escaped that. And I don't know if they're talking about him being an ally or what, because it says black, gay and proud musical artists and their fierce allies. So, yeah. I wouldn't consider Prince to be an ally. I just think I feel like he had more of a tolerance and a little bit of acceptance. And I think with Wendy and Lisa, that was a great marketing scheme for him. He's like, oh, see, you know, we're all different and we're all rebellious mm-hmm. and we're going to have Wendy and Lisa and we're going to play up their gay relationship. So he used that as part of the Re- revolution's personality. And, you know, and he appreciated them as musicians, so he continued to work with them. And then, as you said, he worked with other people who happened to be in the LGBTQ community. So, again, I think a lot of the issues he had were internalized based on how he presented himself. Because if you look at in the later years when he had the fro and everything, he didn't play that up so much. And it might have been because he was sick. I don't know. He didn't play up the femininity as much. And so maybe he just said, you know, as you said, I've come to accept that I do have gay fans. I have trans fans, people in the community. That's not me, but it is what it is. I'm still a bit uncomfortable with guys touching me. But, you know, it is what it is. I don't know. A lot of people, I realize, don't follow Prince as a musician. Right. And I don't mean being a fan. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I saw Purple Rain. And he just seemed so magical. <laughs> and then the, the unicorn tears came from the sky when he just went into this guitar solo. And that's <laughs> I think a lot of people have that experience with Prince. Like they may have seen one performance or even two. Maybe they even went to a show and it was just wonderful because he was just on fire. 
But if you follow him as a musician, someone from the get-go, like, oh, yeah, I've heard everything he's released. And I kind of know what happened when he became a Jehovah's Witness. Or, oh, I know he married someone that blah, blah. If you know all the Prince, you couldn't probably make that list. Right. <laughs> With his name on it, you know. But that's right. not to say he didn't have nuances. It's like you said with Wendy and Lisa. He was obviously aware that, oh, I have people in my band that are this way. And I can use this to... Um, diversify my band or just to say oh well, yeah I know they exist he even knew people I mean you think of a song like Uptown you know yes. the girl says hey are you gay and he's like no are you you right. know and then so he's obviously aware even in Life of the Party on his musicology album he mm -hmm. mentions he's like you know the people saying plus I thought he was gay you know so right. he knows that people may have assumed that he's gay or whatever so he uses but I wouldn't I don't know it's another thing that's different from saying Oh yeah, not only that, but he's an ally. You know, right? That's, it's just I would not. I would not in any say way, that shape, or form. He's never he's been an affiliated. Ally, no. He's never been affiliated with any. He's not like Diana Ross. Okay, right. he's not like Grace Jones. Never. If we're just going off of receipts, right? You don't, don't got them. Right. <laughs> when it comes not to at that. all. I have not seen any receipts. Janet Jackson, like you could, Janet Jackson is an ally to the LGBTQ community yeah. and is well yeah. loved. Prince, yeah. no. Yeah, no. Nah. That's what I'm saying. You can't, you can't do it. If you're being honest, you can't do it. Because yeah. again, we know people who we got the receipts. We can say, right. you know, <laughs> Prince has never publicly, I mean, I'm not here to speak for, oh, well, you know, at one time I had dinner with him and he told me, I ain't talking about <laughs> nothing like that. I'm just saying in general, he's never publicly made any statement towards the LGBT community in any way or even been associated with someone outside of the people like Janelle Monae. Obviously, she came out and then there are other people. Well, I'm not going to say he never had the association because obviously Wendy and Lisa and a lot of other people we mentioned, but um, not an ally. So yeah, it's interesting. I, I, his, I, his name I don't see like, it. I don't yeah. see it. Yeah. But yeah, he's going to forever be associated with that. Yeah, he will. And again, it's not to say, because I'm still not saying that. I, I totally believe that he understood everyone in there, wherever mm -hmm. they wanted to express themselves. But he just never had any name. Would you say the same for Michael, too? In terms of what? Like, in terms of, I know he said things like, oh, I love all my fans and it don't matter. But <laughs> to be, no, well, he hasn't really. Michael's just been kind of. He's just been one to say that I'm not gay, but he's aware of his other fans. Yeah, know? I've never heard him say anything openly against the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Prince, on the other hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, I mean, exactly. Well, I, yeah, I wouldn't say Prince. Pr okay, let's be specific. Prince never said, I hate gay people. Prince never said, being gay is an abomination. Like he never, as far yeah. as I know, said anything like that. But he's alluded mm -hmm. to things where being like, oh, people just want to poke things wherever. And so yeah, people exactly. took yeah, that, that's the thing that from there. No, he's never said the words, I hate gay people. No. Yeah, but that's enough <laughs> to, yeah, but he did say that. I remember, that's what it was. That was the quote. He was like, God, I think he said something like, and I can't quote it, allegedly, because I'm not going to misquote Prince, but it was something of that effect. Yeah. Maybe even 2006 when he was like, God saw people sticking it where they right. wanted to and that, he said yeah. enough or right. something like exactly. that. But yeah, Mike, right. Michael, 
Michael Jackson never said anything like that publicly. His parents, though, on the other hand, I remember the interview that uh, Louis Thoreau did. Uh, he did that interview with Joe Jackson. Joe Jackson said, I don't have any gay people in my family. That's not a thing. It's like, how do you know that? Yeah. Like, we don't have, we don't have gay, we don't have gay family. No, no, no. Yeah, I remember that. And they got really, that's when uh, Magic, the guy, what's the guy who was, uh, with him in that interview he passed oh, yeah. away i forget his name oh, but yeah that guy. right yeah <laughs> he was laughing i mean it's like yeah y'all are just in denial like a lot of people are because this isn't conspiracy it's funny when i see people who are homophobic like that it's like you know gay people everyone knows somebody who gay okay mm-hmm. let's your not family. be and your <laughs> family too you don't even have to go across the corner like you know they exist let's not act like you know this is a conspiracy or oh i don't know anyone oh i just wish this like shut up (laughs) people like that are very annoying because it's that's the epitome of not paying attention or just being so (laughs) ridiculous in your own bias that you're removing yourself from people who are supposed to be people you love right that you discount your child if they came out as gay you just disown them like he's not gay, and he's so I, gay. I I do wonder what conversation came out when Michael decided to wear the more straight weaves and lace front wigs and decided to wear the makeup in the way he did. And I wonder what conversation came out of that, if there was one at all. And of course, mm. the the high pitched voice, like pu- publicly, that was his voice. Was there a conversation? And he said, Joseph, that's what I'm going to do. You cannot tell me. <laughs> how, you know, what was that a conversation? If yeah. you, you, Joe was like, yo, why are you acting like that? Don't, you know, like, I'm not going to repeat that. Don't be a, you know, derogatory word for gay men. You know, that did, was that a conversation that he had with Michael? And Michael said, leave me alone. I'm going to do, you know, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know, but, but both parents uh, said, no, we don't have gay people in our family. That's not a thing. Don't ask us. We just yeah. about gay people. Like, that's anti-gay. That is yeah. one billion percent anti-gay. Yeah, clearly. You can't get around that one. And I do wonder what Joe thought when Janet covered Tonight's the Night, which Rod Stewart did. <clears throat> so <laughs> I wonder <laughs> what he thought of that. And, you know, because she had a lot of imagery, too, and I don't think she is gay, but she did play with that imagery in mm-hmm. some ways. And the LGBT, T, LGBTQ community was like, yeah, Janet. Yeah, yeah they, no, they embraced that with open arms. <laughs> is it that that wasn't mentioned because Janet's a woman? If it was Michael that did something like that, they well, would I'm sure probably that would definitely, tear yeah. the whole house up. Yeah, it would probably. Um, and so if any of... The kids are LGBTQ, say they are, hypothetically. Uh, I don't know any of their lives. But say that happened, you know, would that be a case where somebody in the family or the grandkids, whoever, somebody would come out after both of the parents are gone, the parents are gone, like, what would happen, I wonder? Would people feel comfortable? Would it be their, quote, unquote, Well, the good thing is only time will tell because everybody will die. So eventually we're, when, we're all going to go. Yeah. Yeah. We all going to go. So when, <laughs> you know, Joe's already out here. Catherine is still here. But when Catherine 
you know, says goodbye. I think a lot of people, a lot, well, I'm not going to say a lot of Jackson, but I feel like one Jackson at least is going to be like, oh, I mean, I feel like Paris to some degree has already done that. She's kind of seen herself. I'm not sure if she says she's pansexual, but I wouldn't be surprised if she oh. isn't. Yeah, okay. I okay. think, I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm not saying she said it, but I would not be surprised if she is. Hmm. And yeah. No, of course. And that that may be, I mean, again, people know when they're a kid, you know. Yeah, and because actually Paris actually did say something once. She said that she made it clear, or Michael knew that she found some girls attractive, and he would say, oh, is that your girlfriend? Or whatever, like he. Oh, I saw something about that. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like he, I think he did show some slight disappointment that his daughter was not going to be the most feminine but again he also was openly supportive of his children and whatever they wanted to do and so I think that's a huge part of that and and I commend him for that because he didn't get that that type of nurturing exactly. when he was a child and so he made sure to present that type of nurturing for his kids and I don't care what anybody says I think he did the best he could do with his parenting he was a single father and to say that fathers can't be nurturing makes no amount of sense. And no, I think I think he did utilize that. And I think when he transitioned, that was really hard for them because they didn't have a support network anymore. Uh-huh. And you can see that, especially with Paris. I think she seemed to have taken it the hardest openly. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm still commending Michael Jackson about that, about his parenting to the context of everything that happened, him being in the spotlight, him being accused of all of these things, he still did the best parenting he could do under those conditions. And I commend him for that. And there are people who are interviewed who said, you know, I actually didn't really like Michael Jackson, but I saw him with his kids and he was a good father. People said that. They're like, I don't like him. But, you know, so... I mean, even people who didn't like him had to credit him with being. Oh, there's the best no, there's absolutely no denial of that for sure. In a lot of those ways, yeah, you saw on a performative level, Michael and Prince balancing gender notions and you know knocking off his head gender norms, if you will. And yes, they perpetuated some of that, but I think in many cases in their lives, they also challenged those notions because i did see that i think that was the interview with paris or something i don't even follow the kids that much but i see blurbs here and there and when i saw that i said oh that made me respect michael even more that he wasn't saying ew like you're not supposed to like girls like he just said oh that's your girlfriend okay (laughs) exactly no exactly that's how i felt too so because because one thing i did see apparently she used to have on her wall like pictures of girls and stuff and he would say oh that's your girlfriend yeah, I, I respect that, that he respected his daughter's means of expression. I really appreciate, appreciate oh, that too. about him. Exactly, because I think that's what every parent needs to strive for, if anything, at the very least, is to respect their means of expression. Because a lot of parents tend to think that they can control or dictate what's the next move for their children, and it's not that way at all. Parents are just a portal. It's not like the children ask to be given their moms and dads you know it's yeah. like, <laughs> if yeah. we could have cho- chosen that we probably would choose a parent that were 
in favor of us being who we are instead of saying, oh, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that or, you you know. So it was nice that Michael gave that to. Yay, Michael. So how do you think we as people who love and respect Michael and Prince, not just their music, but their humanity, how can we continue this legacy of challenging these notions of toxic masculinity, of patriarchy, of sexism, of misogyny? Well, I think we have to do a better job at listening to our brothers and sisters and just understanding that people fit on different spectrums. If we're going to categorize anything, I mean, anything can be put in the box, right? I mean, we all have our own way of saying, oh, this is who I am. And we should owe that to anyone, wherever Mm -hmm. they fit and respecting them in that. I mean, also going to the core of Michael and Prince, which you know, as cliche and corny as it sounds about love and all of that, but it's like, that's what they were about. Like, at the end of the day, they evolved and we have to evolve too. And I think that's just where we need to be. If anywhere, we're already coming from a place of understanding that people should be and we shouldn't judge them for it. And the moment we find ourselves or even a friend guilty of being a part of that kind of dismissive, like, attitude that's when we say hey you know that's not okay Mm -hmm. and sometimes you got to remove people in your life that just perpetuate that kind of mentality because it can just be toxic and exhausting I mean forget being toxic that's just being exhausting like (laughs) meeting people who are just always have something to say that's extremely dismissive and it especially when it's ignorant stuff stuff that don't really need to be carried around you know it's like I do my best to always call attention to that because that's just living for the sake of being a pest, being annoying because you don't, because <laughs> you can't see other people being happy. And it could be a bit of reaction formation. A lot of people might themselves struggle with the same things that they're not understanding. So that's the simple Sesame Street, but effective answer because it's true. <laughs> you know? Uh, so that's what, I would say. what about you? Definitely having an understanding that regardless of how we identify, we are living under these conditions of oppression. Yes. And those who are working to profit off that oppression do not care how we identify. They utilize these titles in order to divide us, but they're still profiting. So we need to have that understanding. I think, as you mentioned, there was an evolution of sorts with Michael and Prince where there was definitely a lot of internalized issues, but in the end they understood that art was about reaching all kinds of people regardless of identity. And that was the goal to reach people through love. And we need to have that understanding when we're being reactionary about something that's getting out of our comfort level in terms of how someone's identifying, understanding it's a larger picture. And again, We are faced with the same types of oppression. You may be faced with this type of thing and I'm marginalized over here, but it's still the same system we're under. And we need to understand that healing is a major factor in how we're going to forge towards our liberation. And we can use Prince and Michael as an example. Again, looking at it dialectically, saying, you know, they have these positive elements over here. But what are the contradictions? It's important to look at that to look at their humanity and to look at our own. Right. 
well, and no, utilize that's, that's that that's why healing. we're doing this podcast. I'm so glad yes. that we're able to do that because I love that we're highlighting contradictions and we get joy out of it because <laughs> because we all joy have... joy joy and repetition joy and repetition. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like again, it just humanizes you know who they are because they're just people. And then when you look at the context of just where they came from, what situations they were born in, it kind of all makes sense. And it's a celebration of that growth because clearly Prince and Michael grew from just kind of where they started. That says a lot about us. It says that we don't have to maintain behaviors and ideas that are just behind. We can catch up with everyone else and understand where these harms are connected and heal, you know, really just rest, which I think a lot of us don't do any of. We just are constantly on the go. Rest is just as important as as working. One of the lines, I'm going to end it with this one. If this is the same sister that you cannot stop calling a bitch, this would be the same sister that will leave your broke ass in a ditch. If you can't think of a better reason to call this sister otherwise, don't cry. You've made the bed in which you lie. And that's Prince in the song We March. There it um, is. But that's where it is. It's like, you know, don't cry when you see things going badly when you're actually contributing to why it's like that. And that's what conversation does is it it leads us to a better conversation towards healing and hopefully gives us that that encouragement to to heal with each other, all of us, because we all in this capitalistic <laughs> shithole of a situation. But we got music <laughs> to keep us going. And artists, you know, so yeah. Don't you dare touch my records. Go to the record store. <laughs> Don't you ever touch my stereo. <laughs> you better hide that good and plenty. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Music and We. We definitely appreciate you. We love your comments, your questions, concerns, etc. Stay tuned for another episode next week. Any last words, Jesse? Peace and be wild, you guys. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. <laughs>